this morning we will be back in Ecclesiastes and we will be looking at 1, 12 through 18 and then we'll kind of fast forward a bit. Uh, we're not moving ahead, I'll come back to what we miss, but there's a theme that's going on here that I want us to marry these two together and the second part of that is 2, 12 through 16. So as we are standing in reverence of God's word, let us partake and read of this word together this morning. Ecclesiastes 1, starting in verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. 12, or 2, 12 through 16. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, and there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very, uh, so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten, how the wise die just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun is grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Father God, we come before you this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would be uh, with the, the preacher. Lord, I pray that you would be in the mouth of the man who speaks forth, Lord, your word. Your word is where power is. And so therefore, Lord, we stand in reverence of this word. Lord, we pray that you would uh, accomplish your purpose in it. Lord, I pray that it would help us, Lord, to honestly walk out of here with a sense of encouragement, not gloom, not hatred for life, but a love for life. And we have much reason for that, as we will see in just a bit. Lord God, help us now, we do pray. Amen, amen. And you may be seated this morning. Now, as you're, you're sitting there this morning, you're probably, okay, you, you just heard what I read, right? You're thinking, how in the world? How in the world are we going to love life more after the, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes says he's come to hate life, right? Pastor Kyle's sermon this morning, the Bible says, go hate life, amen, see you next Sunday. No, 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 that's not, that would not be a, an appropriate reading or rendering of the text this morning. So I want you to know something about Ecclesiastes, we're going to be handling so many topics in regards to life under the sun, life before eternity. 
And this morning, we are going to handle but one of those, and that is the pursuit of knowledge, the gaining of wisdom. And I titled this uh, sermon, Knowledge is Power. You always heard this, right? And my question is, right? Knowledge is power, right? Like, is, is, is this absolutely true? You know, many people already know of the great request of Solomon for God to grant him wisdom above all else. Now, I want to say something really quickly. Scott, Scott came to me uh, this week and said, now, now look, we don't honestly know, it doesn't say that Solomon wrote this. And that is absolutely true. But listen to me. I believe, as you'll see in the text, Solomon wrote this. And there's great reasons to point to that reality. But we all know, if you remember, what Solomon uh, uh, asked for from God when given the opportunity to receive something from him. And what did he ask for, church? Wisdom. It's good. Listen to me. I need you to hear something real quick. You're going to hear a couple things about wisdom. You're going to think that I don't like wisdom or knowledge or books or learning. Right? That's not true at all, as you'll see. But what I want you to know is that he asked for wisdom. We see this account in 1 Kings 3, 5, and then 8 through 10. And it says there, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And then it takes back up and eight. Your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. A great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind, listen, to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And what I want you to know is that the, 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 the idea of Solomon desiring wisdom in order to govern the people is a very good thing. If you ever, how many of you read the Old Testament? All right, how many of you, uh, does anybody in here know uh, how, how easy to get along the nation of Israel was? <laughs> yeah, you're laughing for a reason. Listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. If I'm, if I'm Solomon... And I'm the leader of his people, Israel. Solomon, listen, I think it's good to ask for wisdom. And I think that there's real desire for him to gain wisdom. But listen, he, he isn't a fool before he was wise. God, give, ah, have you seen these people? I need wisdom in how to govern this, your people. Now, what I want you to understand is that it was, however, what is less understood is how Solomon's request for wisdom, this is the point I'm trying to make, does not necessarily, not necessarily, I'm not saying it doesn't, I'm just saying it doesn't necessarily point to a heart's desire to understand and love God more thoroughly and clearly. That's not what we hear from when he asks for this request for wisdom. His reasoning is right in the text. Right here in 1 Kings, it's for the people. Give me wisdom for them. Lord God, give me wisdom for me as I seek to lead them. Wisdom comes from a word in, in Hebrew, and it means skill. It means wit, and in a good sense. So he's asking for skill in leading, good sense and a mind about himself to be a great leader for the nation of Israel. The more we see and understand this this morning, church, 
the more our text from Ecclesiastes will make more sense, hopefully. You see, there is a reason. There is a reason why Solomon is forever named the wisest fool who ever lived. The wisest fool who ever lived. Now, if you think that you would have done better, you would have just been probably a fool, right? Me too. Wisest wouldn't even be connected with our names. So don't, don't give him too much of a hard time. He's the wisest fool, though, that ever lived. God for sure grants Solomon with his heart's desire. But this does not mean that he knew all instantly. And when looking back upon his life in old age, is what I believe what we have before us in Ecclesiastes, he tells us of all that he has learned in this endeavor to become the wisest man who ever lived. So this morning what I want to do is this. I don't have points. I just want to like step through the text that we just read, kind of ring it out a little bit to help us to understand what is before us. So if you have your Bibles before you, and I hope that you do, I also have uh, the text up on, scr- uh, on the screens. Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 14. Let us look at that first. said there once again, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. See, whoever it is, is someone who's writing Ecclesiastes ha- has been king in Jerusalem. So we know that much. You know, if we're trying to figure out who wrote it, it doesn't take much. We know this. You'll see something in a minute. Also, he said that he is the wisest that ever been. No one before him was wiser. No one before him, at least, was wiser. Well, if Solomon was the wisest of kings in the Old Testament, that tells us a lot about who this may be. And you'll see that in a moment. But the issue is the preacher has been king over Israel and Jerusalem, Verse 13, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. You see, Solomon believes in God. We all we know this. Of course he does. And he mentions him here even by name. But he made his spiritual quest essentially without God's help or God in mind. Once Solomon has wisdom and gained wisdom, it says that, look what it says in the text. Look at the words. Applied, seeked, and searched here in 12 through 14. He applied, he seeked, he searched all that is done under heaven. Now, here's the question I have for us in this room, though. And by what, by, by what, and by what way did he apply, did he seek, and did he search? Well, the answer's in our text, and you'll see it even more clearly in a minute. It was through experience. Solomon says, in wisdom, or trying to gain wisdom, I applied and seeked and searched all under the sun by doing and receiving and drinking deeply from that cup. I drew from that well, which is life and the experiences under the sun. It is, it is great that Solomon sought for wisdom. However, instead of praying or consulting scripture or God, 
He instead was off and running on his own quest for the meaning of life and all the purposes of earth without stopping to consider the majesty and the glory of God. And I'll, I'll show you that in a moment. All of this gaining wisdom to learn and to understand life under the sun, but it was devoid, I believe, at least with a healthy view, of God, his glory, and the majesty of his name. Solomon made a fatal error. You see, we must understand that the kind of wisdom Solomon pursued was not necessarily divine wisdom here, but human in nature. And this is really, really important. Here, wisdom refers to what people can learn uh, learn about uh, God. Uh, it, is, it is what we can get through uh, um, uh, the world, through, through special re- revelation. Now, sorry, devoid of special revelation, which is literally what I can get, what I can gain, what I can do. But does it come through special revelation by God? This is a wisdom that is under the sun, but it's lacking over the sun, a a heavenly reality and perspective. Uh, This is something that can be gained through, uh, we put it this way, you can gain uh, certain wisdom and knowledge through books, You can get it through observation. Science is good for that. You can do it through experience. That's doing something trial and error. The whole whole scientific model is built off of these things. Yet he, meaning Solomon, learned these things through experience. But the question is, did his experiences help him in his mind to correct course? To correct his course in his going about life? Here's the question I have. How far will and can human wisdom take us? Will information, books, and study alone bring transformation? Can information alone lead us to everlasting life? Will perceived knowledge alone bring about lasting and steadfast happiness? No, our text is very clear. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. However, is this not the mantra that we often hear today in our own society? Hey, get a proper education and get a better job. Get you a degree and then get paid. Know more and learn more and you will be more interesting in life, so on and so on. And again, please don't hear what I'm saying. I'll come full circle in a minute. Learn, study, don't be lazy, grow, all of those areas. But listen to me. How often can this even happen in the church where people literally grow up maybe in the church or maybe not? Maybe they come to know Christ later, but here's the thing. There's something that happens. Oftentimes people came in love with God, Christ, and the gospel only to wander off in their Christianity to love books, theology, and doctrine. Our brothers and sisters, listen to me. Those can be very different. They should be together as you'll see later, but oftentimes, people even in the church, it's not the what you do, it's not how you live life, it's not your pursuits, it's what you read, it's what you studied, it's how many Bible verses can you parse together. How many of you ever heard the story of, since I saw your history, Elvis Presley? You know Elvis Presley, right? Did you know that that guy, that little booger, that that guy was like a, a, a trophy-carrying uh, Bible with knowledge young man in his younger life 
Like he knew the scripture. He knew the Bible so much that he could quote it and win trophies. I, listen, I've been, I've been preaching and doing this, and I love the Bible. I don't know if I'd be winning trophies, right? Elvis knew the Bible. And yet it is pretty safe to say that Elvis more than likely did not know the Bible. You see what I'm going with this? you got to be careful. Church, listen to me. You, me, be careful here. To pursue all these things and not, and not live life changed in the reality that we've learned anything is not the wisdom that we should long for. While I am not calling on anyone to aspire to be dumb or unlearned, what I am saying is that if your hope in finding lasting pleasure, hope and joy, is from being smarter than others, it is a vain and empty pursuit. This too will leave you empty. And the question is why? You cannot get there on your smarts alone. And honestly, you cannot please God by just knowing stuff. Not just by knowing stuff. Aspire for wisdom. Yes, aspire for knowledge, church. But desire to be changed by it. 1 Corinthians 1, 18-24, the Apostle Paul says of wisdom, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. For the word of the cross, the word of the cross is folly, which means idiocy. It's dumb to those who are perishing, dying. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And then he asked the question, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God, through the wisdom of this world, they did not know God through wisdom, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the, here it is, wisdom of God. Yes, let's seek for wisdom. But what type of wisdom? Do I ask, are we seeking? In other words, if we take a secular worldly perspective and try to understand the world on our own terms rather than on God's terms, we will never escape this Ecclesiastes 1 reality. In other words, all our leaning, or excuse me, learning is empty without God. Specifically, it is empty without a knowledge of God's glory in what we learn, what we study, and what we try to get to understand about God. If it's devoid of the glory of God and the majesty of his name, it is Ecclesiastes 1, living. It's devoid. If this is all the source of its focus, and the focus is devoid of God, then everything else is done in vain. The pursuit is vain. Here's the question. How do we know that it is emptiness? How do we know that it is a vain pursuit? Because Solomon calls it an unhappy business. 
He says it there in our text. It's an unhappy business and this being busy. It's a happy business and, and, and it's busyness that leads to no satisfaction. What we need is more than simply an under the heaven kind of wisdom. What we need is an above the sun wisdom from heaven. I'm going to say something really quick, then I'm going to move on. I'll come back full circle to it right here at the conclusion. There is a wisdom of this world that we, we need. God created us to study. He created us to learn. Christianity is not a check your brain at the door faith. And I say amen to that. Amen. You do not have to say this morning, you do not have to walk into this room. See, I'm off my notes right now. Misty knows it. You do not have to come into this room, sit where you sit and go, well, the preacher said. God did not leave you to have to wander in that wilderness. Amen? He has given us his word. His word is more powerful than any man, including Pastor Kyle's opinions this morning. Amen? I'm, I'm taking note of who said amen. Right? But it's true. It is not. Listen, I love, I always get in trouble with this. I say, I love math, but I really don't. I hate it. As y'all know, I love science. Why is it good to study religion? Why is it good to study sociology? Uh, why is it good anthropology? Why is it good to study history and, and to study math and to science? And I'm going to tell you why. Because everything that we can study under heaven points us to Jesus Christ. It points us to God, who is in control of all things. Amen? The thing I love this morning, I'm off my notes. <laughs> John said, hey, God, he could just push the re re reset button, right? And the reality is, he has. He's making all things new. Amen? It is actually reset right now, pushed. And we are waiting and longing for the day. Amen? Where all will be made right, and all will be made new once again. Jesus Christ is the love of God to us in the gospel. This is not a check your brain at the door. No, read, study, grow, and learn. And I'm not scared of your learning because I think that all your learning will point you back to God. But here's the thing. All that learning that points us back to God is still just earthly knowledge and learning without the Holy Spirit to enliven our minds to see past what our flesh cannot receive on its own this is a knowledge this is a wisdom that comes from God and the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ in whom the world is lacking what does it matter if we are able to understand all earthly mystery and working if in the end it leads us further away from God and I would say that if in all our studies and all our learning somehow it leads us away from God I can more than likely guarantee it's not truth However, there is still yet another reason why Solomon calls all this earthly pursuing of wisdom an unhappy business. As we saw last week, he calls it a what? A striving after the what? Striving after the wind. Now, it is interesting. I, I, I found this upstairs, and I just wanted to use it. How many of y'all know what this is? Shepherd's crook, right? Now, in the text here, the word striving means a couple things. It's pursuing, it's going after, it's running after. But what I want you to understand is the word striving has with it shepherd-like uh, a meaning. Uh, for there is a lost sheep the shepherd strives after, goes after, looks after to receive that sheep back into the fold. You get what I'm saying? A striving after that which is lost or that which is to be uh, captured. I want you to see 
the shepherd's crook. Because what a wonderful image, I believe, in our text and picture that Solomon, the greatest example of insanity, the wisest man, is one of the greatest examples of insanity with a man with a net trying to catch the air. With a shepherd, with a shepherd's crook, with me this morning going and trying to catch something that can't be caught. How insane to spend my, etern- my life under heaven grasping after, striving after something that cannot be caught. Like a shepherd's crook in the air. You cannot catch it. I hope I don't fall on that later. <laughs> don't get tripped up on that, right? Boom, boom, see that? Don't get tripped up on that reality, that thinking. Now, I need you to know something. He says that it is unhappy business that God has given man. And I want to correct. Listen, you're going to go, how dare you correct Solomon? Who do you think you are? Well, I'm not really correcting him. I believe he believes this and understands this too. Listen to me. He says in the text, this is an unhappy business that God has given to man. And let me express something to you. God never gave this to us. We earned it. Can I say that again? This picture of meaninglessness, this grabbing after to bring in something that can't be caught. Listen, it is not God who gave us this. Our sins brought it about at the fall. That our brothers, uh, brothers, this is to be Adam and Eve, our first parents had a life of meaning for the glory of God in the cool of the day. And what did we do? We wanted it our own way. And God says, because of that, cursed are you as we saw last week. God only gave us what we in our sins earned as a payment for our disobedience apart from God. Yes, it is unhappy business. Yes, it is busy work. And God, yes, did give it to us. But it's not because we're pitiful and helpless and God is mean. No, we earned it in our sin and rebellion against God. Life under the sun is given to this reality now. This is a repercussion of the fall. This is the sin nature of man. We will always perpetually toil in this reality under the sun. Now let us learn why such pursuits are so empty, left alone, that we're talking about now. Look at me in 2, 15 through 16. Then I said in my heart, what happens, this is 2, 2, 15 through 16, Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity, for of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. Here it is, here it is. How the wise dies just like the fool. Wisdom and knowledge, listen, as we saw last week, cannot prevent death. Both the learned and the unlearned will end in the same manner. Einstein, as well as the mentally handicapped brother or sister, both end up in the grave. Wisdom chasing after longer life and to get along in life. To what end? If it only leads to death. The equalizer of death will once again make all of our earthly pursuits equal to every other man or woman who we will meet in this life who will also meet the same fate. 
wisdom and knowledge will not protect you from this. Point here in verse 13 through 15 summarizes Solomon's unhappy efforts to understand the universe and the meaning of life through cerebral, intellectual, and experiential pursuits alone. Doing this, if this is your idol, if this is how we chase after life, if this is where we're trying to gain hope, brothers and sisters, there is no hope to be found there, and you will spend your life worshiping that idol that will not give back. All of this is but emptiness. If it does not serve to lead us closer to God in our love and adoration of Him and in our witness for His glory, which is basically, and by the way, the purpose of all of us who are still here under the sun, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, the Westminster Confession says is the chief end of man. Now look with me once again as we're kind of going back and forth. Look with me, Ecclesiastes 1, 16 through 17. And the author says, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. No one before me was wiser than me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. Just as wisdom and knowledge are synonyms, so too are madness and folly. In our text, while wisdom and knowledge refer to Solomon's study of truth, worldly pursuits, madness and folly refers to Solomon's pursuit of pleasures. Not just knowing pleasures, but experiencing them in all that those had to offer him in life. And I want you to know something about this, this madness and folly. It's not just a sort of pleasure, not any kind of pleasure, mind you. It's not simply going hunting, which would be a very pleasurable for me. All right? It's not taking in a game. It's not eating some chocolate or going on a vacation. We're not talking, this is not Solomon's point here. This is the kind of knowledge, the, the pleasures that are immoral in nature. The word madness in our text with folly, actually means, in Hebrew, evil. Solomon says, I have known evil and folly. Madness and folly. We'll see this next week. But the whole pursuit for the knowledge of both good and evil, experience them even, is another picture of the fall. You were not created to know evil, only that which is good. Remember this. You remember, God didn't give it to us. We've earned it. You were, you were not created as human beings to know evil. God in the garden protected Adam and Eve with a word, do not do this thing. God gives only good gifts to his children. And sometimes the answer of no is God's still good gift, amen? My kids, I have four of them, they may not like sometimes when I tell them no, but typically, usually, it's because I love them and the no is good for them. And you know how my, my, my kids act sometimes when I tell them no, even though it's still good? <laughs> Do you know what happens sometimes when Misty tells me no? <laughs> it's innate, it's in us. And here we are in the garden, and Adam and Eve were made to know and to experience God and to walk with him in the cool of the day, relationship stored. 
goodness and mercy and happiness all the days of their life. Eat whatever you want. Do whatever. Keep my garden. Know me. And Adam and Eve says, we want more. God says, do not do this thing. And Adam and Eve says, nope. Satan says, if God's telling you no, it's got to be bad. No, sometimes God tells us no because he is good. He is absolutely good. And so here he is, the things that you know ought not to be done, the things that I know that Solomon, being a very wise man, knew he should not be touching, he touched. Solomon, with all his knowledge and earthly wisdom, was in all accounts, listen to me, brothers and sisters, a fool. True wisdom involves the fear of the Lord, which Solomon seemed little concerned with within his life, at least early on. He chased more after what his heart longed for, thinking in them he would be full. Psalms 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Solomon, as we will see next week, drank deeply of all the world had to offer. He kept himself back from nothing. Even if such indulgences did not bring glory and praise to God. And yes, Solomon was a wise man for it all. The wisest that has ever walked this earth, and it pleased God to grant him this request. But listen, Solomon was a fool, spiritually speaking. If you lived the life that Solomon had lived, you would have to be a very wise man. Uh, Listen, you young people in the room. Listen to this, please. If, you're, you, if you were like, if you were like, I'm going to say 30 years or younger, just listen to me, please. Sometimes your mom and dad or the people around you are a little older. You may not agree with them in all of aspects of life, but let me tell you one thing I've learned. Sometimes people are very wise because of the stupid decisions that they've made in life. Can I get an amen from all of you who are parents? Learn from our mistakes. Don't step in a hole that we have broken our ankles in before. Don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. Learn from the mistakes and the failures of others. Yes, Solomon is a very wise man because he is a very foolish man. He has learned a lot. It'd do well for us to listen to his voice. However, learn from his wisdom and learn from his experience. Ecclesiastes 2, 13-14 in our text this morning says, Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. Solomon says, by the way, at the end of it all, I have learned something. There is more to be gained in true wisdom than folly, which is evil. As there is more gain in light, he says, than in darkness. I've learned this. It is better to learn in the light towards the light, to the light, than what is done in the deeds of darkness. And he goes on to say, the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks around in darkness, groping, constantly trying to find and see. Solomon, with all his wisdom, still walked in the darkness, chasing after madness and folly, at least at some point in his life. And you know what Solomon learns? That they were all of them empty and meaningless. I want to say something real quick, and then I'll go on to my conclusion. 
Orthodoxy. You can write this down if you want. I'll explain it. Orthodoxy should always leave to proper orthopraxy. And you're going, what the world do those words mean? I have not been to the doctor and heard that one. Right? Orthodoxy is belief. Orthodoxy is what is true. What we believe should always lead to proper orthopraxy. Orthopraxy, all it means is doing. Right belief should always lead to right doing and action. To have a head knowledge of the things that are true and good and not not live a life that pursues the things that are true and live a life that shows people what is good is antithetical to real true belief and understanding. It's hypocritical. This is why Bible knowledge alone and Bible verses will not get it done. It's why reading good books and getting a seminary education alone will not get it done. Proper orthodoxy. Wisdom, knowledge, belief should always lead to proper orthopraxy, doing, following it through, and changing. The question is, does all our learning lead to some action that glorifies the name of Christ in the gospel and point to a dependence upon his word? Here's my conclusion. Verse 15. Verse 15 in chapter 1. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. If you want to, go ahead, and you can pull up that picture of the cross, because I want you to see something in our text that is absolutely spectacular. I told you that all of this learning and all this depression on a page is not depressing for the believer of Christ Jesus. There is good news to be found here, and if you are a believer of Christ Jesus, firmly saved, rejoice And worship with me, and if you are lost and you do not know Christ, brothers and sisters, beg you, I beg you to listen to what is said before us. Verse 15 says, what is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Sin has bent our relationship with God. Sin has bent our relationship with God. Knowledge alone cannot change this reality. All your striving and seeking does not, no good to those who have been are not been given spiritual eyes to see and to understand. It's the concept of Jeremiah 13, 23, where it says there, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the lepers his spots? Then also you, then also you can do, you can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. With an act of knowledge and the will alone, can you do what is right? You see, when Adam and Eve sought to gain knowledge on their own apart from God, how did all that turn out, brothers and sisters, in this room? Not good at all. You see, Adam and Eve, as we looked at earlier, made crooked what was straight. What was straight was our relationship with God. Sin entered the world and made it crooked and messed up. Our relationship with God and sin It's corrupted, that relationship. No one but God can alter the realities of mankind's existence. And if you remember something about Adam and Eve, by the way, do you remember how they used their own knowledge and wisdom to make themselves appropriate in the eyes of God? What did they do? Fig leaves. Adam looks at Eve. Eve looks at Adam and says, hey, we naked. And we feel a little shameful. And they said, hey, Let's get some leaves and cover ourselves up. 
wisdom, knowledge. They stand before God, and I love it. Why are you naked? As if I still see everything you're trying to cover up with your own wisdom, with your own desires, with your own works, with your own knowledge. You're trying, it will not work. I still see you in all your sinfulness. The only way in which Adam and Eve was made right, at least in this regard, appropriate in the eyes of God, is that when God sent something innocent that had never died in the garden, there had never been death, and what does he give Adam and Eve to clothe themselves? The death, the skins, which something had to die of an innocent lamb to cover themselves. Brothers and sisters, Genesis 3 is the first picture we have of Jesus Christ in the Bible. You cannot get there on your own strength, your own learning, your own wisdom. And this is what is important. Man cannot make straight, which his sin has made crooked. Man cannot take from his account. It says in the account, you cannot take from your own account, which means in the text cannot be counted, what in his sin has left him bankrupt. You cannot make your relationship with God stored and straight again. It is crooked. You have not enough money in your account, figuratively speaking, to pay the penalty or to pay the fine, or to pay to get that thing restored. You, because the Bible says that in your sin, you're absolutely bankrupt apart from Jesus Christ. It cannot be counted. Now listen. This is the good news of Ecclesiastes. Jesus is the only one who can straighten what has been made crooked due to sin. He did this when he went to the crooked cross and died to straighten and make new our relationship with God. What we are unable to do in our wisdom, in our own pursuits of knowledge, Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. That anyone who puts their faith, hope, and trust in the goodness and the knowledge and the infinite knowing of God in Jesus, despising their own selves and running to him for their hope, can be counted. Relationship made right. Bank account full in the righteousness of Christ. Verse 18 in closing. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I'm going to tell you something real quick because I love you. The more you read this book, the more you study about God, the more sorrow, difficulty, hardship you will have in life under the sun. I know there's a lot of preachers right now preaching something totally different than what I just said. And it is a teaching that is straight from the pits of hell. The more you learn, the more difficult life will get this side of heaven. That's a promise from Jesus Christ himself. Have you read the Sermon on the Mount? By the way, Jesus says, come and follow me. Where did it take him? To Calvary's Golgotha. What happened to the disciples, brothers and sisters? What's happening to our Ukrainian brothers and sisters right now because of a, a regime that hates religion altogether? China, Indonesia, where I've served. What happened in Nero's Rome? Come on. Tell me. Tell me how another persecution and hardship leads to, to us to believe that these are lesser Christian men and women, that we've got it figured out because we're in safety. Uh-uh. New. No. Don't be a fool. Learn. Watch. Listen. Hear. 
See, here's the thing. The reason why the more knowledge you have here will lead to sorrow and vexation, as Solomon says here, is this. How many of you like hot dogs? Right? I like hot dogs. How many of you liked hot dogs a little less when you found out what was in them? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, some of you, you just were ignorant. You're just like, just a... Hey, listen, I love beef jerky. I do, I love beef jerky. Have any of you ever had a filet mignon? Mm-hmm. Something about eating steak messes up jerky. Something about a knowledge of how hot dogs are made messes up hot dogs. Now, this is this is, this happened with me with chicken nuggets. Chicken nuggets used to be good until I saw that paste that flows out of them. And they put them together. I was like, whoa, it's ruined my life. Listen, knowledge of the holy, knowledge of God's word and who he is, with much wisdom comes much sorrow. Only sorrow for those who have their hope, love, and passion here on this earth. The more you learn this, the more, the more beautiful Jesus becomes. And my hope is like eating steak with Christ. And then I look to the world, I wake up, I'm fleshy like all of you, I wake up, and guess what? All around me is beef jerky. And then you're ruined. Because you know what steak tastes like, so beef jerky is not what I really want to go back to. This is the idea of those who love God in the gospel of Jesus Christ for his glory and his word. The more we learn about him in this book, the more this world has no power over us anymore. It's lost its flavor because we saw how it was made. We've tasted the real thing and we will not, we shall not go back. The more we learn and experience, the more we learn the same truth Solomon has learned. Nothing seems to sick. Nothing seems to give lasting joy and happiness. Nothing seems to satisfy. However, if all of this is in the end our only hope, you will forever live this world in despair. It cannot and it will never. As we will see next week, we were all made to know and love God in relationship. Everything else, especially in this fallen world, is corrupted, is but a cheap imitation at best. Amen? This is not your home. Don't get too comfortable here. Unless the wisdom and knowledge is spiritual, life-giving insight in which points you to your greatest hope and ultimate life's purpose, Jesus Christ and his glory, then all will be in death and old age but emptiness. Please, this morning, pursue knowledge and wisdom. Do it. Read books. Learn doctrine and theology. Drink deeply of this book. But please be diligent to know and to understand God, Christ and the gospel all the more, the wisest and most knowledgeable today who knows not God in the end will be the greatest fools among us all. Praise God in Christ Jesus. Those of us who walk in newness of life are no fools. Because God in Christ Jesus is truth. Amen?